This is the Aspen Public Radio Newscast. I'm your host, Eleanor Bennett, here with your top stories this Tuesday. The Colorado Supreme Court heard oral arguments in a case last week that could impact how ski resorts are protected from certain liability claims brought by injured skiers. The Miller family from Oklahoma sued Crest Butte Ski Area, which is owned by Vail Resorts, after their 16-year-old daughter fell 30 feet off a chairlift. She was permanently paralyzed as a result of her injuries. Bruce Braley is the family's attorney. He argued to the state Supreme Court that signing a waiver with a ski pass should not protect a resort from liability under the Colorado Passenger Tramway Safety Act, which governs ski lifts. Regulations adopted by the Tramway Board that require operators to be in a position to observe and respond to conditions exactly like the one in this case that led to Annie Miller's catastrophic injuries. Attorney Mike Hoffman is representing Cresta Butte. He argued that skiing is an inherently risky activity, which is why resorts have people sign waivers in the first place. We allow the waiver defense because no one's required to ski. It's not a practical necessity of life. It's not something that people need. And as my friends point out, people can go elsewhere to ski if they want to. Challenge Aspen, Colorado Ski Country USA, and the National Ski Areas Association have all signed on to the lawsuit in support of Cresta Butte. They agree with Hoffman's argument and say that if organizations that provide ski experiences for minors aren't protected from some risk, they may not be able to provide services at all. The court could issue its written ruling any time in the next one to nine months. Graduation attire is a topic of debate at the Colorado Legislature for the second straight session. Lawmakers will consider changes to allow forms of cultural regalia to be worn at ceremonies. House District 57 Representative Elizabeth Velasco sponsored the bill after an incident in parachute last year. My district is 30% Latino. We have many schools that are majority minority. You know, many times we don't have the representation in when it comes to school board members, when it comes to leadership. So it's very important, you know, for us to to be able to celebrate and, you know, a moment that's important, like a graduation. Last spring, a student at Grand Valley High School in Parachute was told a graduation sash honoring her Mexican and American heritage violated school policies. The Aspen School District is considering changes to its student cell phone policy. That's while schools across the country are banning smartphones to try and limit distractions and cyberbullying during the school day. The Aspen School District released a survey earlier this school year asking students, staff, and community members how they felt about cell phones on campus. And they'll be hosting a series of forums in the coming weeks to discuss the results. Roughly 1,200 people took the survey, and the district says the results vary. Some believe phones at school are very distracting and can exacerbate bullying, while others say students need to be able to contact their parents in emergencies. Some also felt it would be possible to limit cell phone use during the school day without a complete ban. The first meeting where district staff will present possible new policies takes place next week on Tuesday at the Aspen High School Library at 530. The second meeting will be held on March 7th. Property owners in the Garfield RE2 school district are getting a bit of a break on their taxes this year. The school district between Newcastle and Rifle voted in December to limit the amount it would receive from local property taxes. 
The decision was meant to offset the tax burden for residents since there's been a large increase in local property values. Even with the smaller rate, Garfield RE2 will still receive about $28 million from local taxes, up almost $3 million from last year. This comes as the Roaring Fork School District voted not to change its mill levy this year, despite similar increases in property values. The West Mountain Regional Housing Coalition is launching a new program, and it will be requesting funding later today from Picking County, one of its founding members. The deed restriction purchase program would convert free market units into affordable housing to serve the regional workforce. During a work session this afternoon, representatives from the coalition will discuss the program with commissioners. If the commissioners decide to support it, county staff will develop a formal funding strategy later this year. One option is for the county to use some of its remaining American Rescue Plan funds, which total about $1.2 million. Some of that funding could also go to support transitional housing and services for people who are unhoused. Rental owners were expected to come out in force this week to speak out against a short-term rental tax measure, but lawmakers have delayed the hearing. CPR reports the legislation would tax short-term rentals in Colorado as commercial properties instead of residential, a move that would increase the tax by 20 percentage points. Chris Hansen, a Denver Democrat and the bill's lead sponsor, says the hearing has been delayed to hammer out amendments. The bill aims to ease the housing shortage in mountain communities like Aspen and the Valley, where many homes are rented out to tourists rather than to residents. Alpine Bank is warning people of ongoing text and email scams that are designed to fool people into sharing confidential account information. The bank says cyber fraudsters are sending texts and emails that contain links to fake bank login pages, prompting people to share their username and password. The messages often say the person's account is locked or that they have a pending transaction. When in doubt, you should contact your bank's main phone number or log into your account using the same primary bank website you always use, rather than following a new link that could lead to a fake website. And in local arts and culture news, a contemporary British artist just opened a major exhibition at Gallery Maximilian in downtown Aspen. As Kaya Williams reports, the work draws inspiration from the scenery of the Rocky Mountains. Susie Murphy's landscapes are peaceful, with soft, gentle lines. The branches of evergreens look like they're draped with yarn. Silhouettes of mountains are smooth and rounded rather than craggy, and blankets of snow appear so soft and dense that even the paintings seem like they could absorb sound. Murphy says she isn't just capturing what she sees around her, but how she feels as she's immersed in her surroundings. I always feel they're like self-portraits. They're sort of emotional landscapes for me. Murphy says she finds a sense of comfort in nature, even more so now than when she was younger. You know, when you're young, you think nothing can happen to you on some level, even though you know for sure it can. And as you're older, you see and experience more. But nature's always there. And it always holds you. Murphy's exhibition will be up for two weeks at Gallery Maximilian. From the Edless Neeson Arts and Culture Desk, I'm Kaya Williams. Grammy-winning musicians and several returning artists are on the lineup for the Jazz Aspen Snowmass June experience this summer. The music festival will feature shows by renowned performers like Lisa Fisher, John Cleary, and Bobby Rush. 
as well as major jazz and blues bands like Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, The Headhunters, and Blind Boys of Alabama. The June experience is spread out over three days and 12 venues in downtown Aspen. In statewide news, police have arrested a student on murder charges in connection with the shootings of two people who were found dead in a dorm room last week at the CU campus in Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs police say the 25-year-old suspect, Nicholas Jordan, was a student at the school. The two victims were identified as 26-year-old Seeley Rain Montgomery and 24-year-old Samuel Knopp. Knopp was also a student at the university. Police said the shooting appeared to be an isolated incident between people who knew each other, not a random attack. Colorado lawmakers have introduced a bill to protect residents living near busy airports from noise and lead exposure. KUNC's Scott Franz has more. The Environmental Protection Agency says leaded fuel used by thousands of small planes is a public health threat. Colorado state lawmakers will try to speed up a transition to unleaded fuel by offering pilots and airports financial incentives to switch to it. Brie Lehman is a Lafayette resident who has spent years asking airports to reduce their impact on neighbors. I feel a moral obligation to fight this issue because so many people don't know about it and continue to not know about it. And up until now, none of our public health agencies or people in charge of protecting our environment have really seemed to take any of these concerns seriously. The bill would give airports money to install unleaded fuel tanks through fees on leaded fuel sales. It would also block the state from spending grant funds at busy airports that aren't taking steps to reduce noise. Scott Franz, KUNC. And in regional news, Amachi, a former Japanese incarceration camp in Colorado, was officially established as a national park last week. KUNC's Emma Vanden 90 reports on what survivors and descendants had to say. At its peak, the camp housed more than 7,000 Japanese Americans during the 1940s. They were forced to live behind barbed wire in poorly insulated rooms. Carlene Tinker was at Amachi when she was three years old. My first reaction was, finally, okay, finally. Mitch Homa's dad was imprisoned at the camp and eventually died there. He reflected on what his dad would have said about the news. They didn't care about us in 1942, and I don't think enough people cared about us now. And now it's happening, and, you know, it's pretty special. Amachi is open to the public. There will be an official ribbon-cutting ceremony in May. For KUNC, I'm Emma Vandenindy. The Aspen Public Radio Newscast is produced by our news team, which includes Hallie Zander, Caroline Yanez, Kaya Williams, and me, your host, Eleanor Bennett. You can listen to the show every weekday morning on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and see you next time.